we have the joy of jumping back in to the Word of God uh, today. We're back in the book of Acts, and uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn in them to Acts chapter 13, uh, and we're going to read from uh, verse 42 to verse 52, and uh, it'll be somewhat of a augmented sermon. Uh, just time has got away from me today, I guess, with announcements and those sorts of things, so I had one person who was a little bit panicky after the uh, first service because I hadn't filled in the blanks properly, and, um, and uh, sometimes that happens, so uh, the, the the screen may have the blanks, and I may or may not refer to the points, but um, we'll work our way through this passage, maybe in somewhat of abbreviate, uh, abbreviated form from what I had intended. But I'd like you to hear the Word of God, because in the Word of God is where we find Christ, as we have just sung, where we find warning and encouragement. So uh, I'd like to read from Acts chapter 13, <coughs> beginning at verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up by persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is a a great um, illustration of how people respond to the word of God. And uh, Pastor Dan took us through a sermon that Paul had delivered to these people in Antioch, which is Poseidon. Now, this is a different Antioch. We spent a little bit of time a few weeks ago in Antioch, which was in Syria. This is Antioch, which is in Turkey now. And Paul had just finished preaching an amazing message from the Word of God. And it was an illustration of the song that we just sung, Show Us Christ. Because as Paul took them through the Old Testament, he took them from promise to promise, from prophecy to prophecy, illustrating that God had promised to send a Messiah. And that that Messiah was the person of Jesus Christ. And when he came to one of the cruxes of his message, he said to them that, in fact, he has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he has promised. So the focal point of his preaching was to illustrate that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Messiah. As he went on to talk to them, he moved from the great fulfillment of prophecy to the fact that the Bible also spoke that this Messiah, this Jesus Christ, had to die. And that he would die at the hands of men and women. He would die a horrible death. And that that death, though, would not contain him. In fact, it would result in freedom. And it would result in life for all who would put their trust in Jesus Christ. 
As Paul wrapped up the sermon, he said to them, that let it be known to you, brothers, in verse 39, that through this man, through this Messiah, through Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. And that is what we proclaim. That is what comes to us through Jesus Christ, Messiah. And everyone who believes in him is freed from everything from which they could not be freed from by the law of Moses. And as Paul pressed this point home to them, he said to them, now you have to choose. You can choose life through Jesus Christ, or you can choose death by rejecting him. Simple, clear choice. And so that is what then the people had to respond to. And that's where our text comes. It's this response to this presentation of the gospel by the Apostle Paul. And every sermon requires a response. Whether it's good or bad, whether it's presented with great clarity or not, every sermon, if it's based in the Word of God, it requires a response. Sometimes people leave and, and they receive very happy because the Word of God that has been proclaimed has encouraged them and has built them up. Sometimes people leave and they're angry. I've had people leave angry after a sermon. And when you figure it out, it's not that they're angry at me. It's that they're angry at what the word of God has spoken into their life. And it's challenged them or it's rebuked them. Sometimes people leave and they say, well, that was really boring. Other times they leave and say, well, that was really exciting. But every single time you leave this place, you will have a response to the preaching of the word of God. It's no different than what takes place here back in the book of Acts. And we find that response, and I find it a fascinating response. The first response is simply that in verse 42, it says that the people begged them to come back next Sunday. In that case, it was next Saturday. I think that would have been, uh, I, I don't know, maybe God knows that that might go to my head. But, you know, if on the way out, a bunch of you were grabbing onto my sleeves and saying, Paul, you've got to make sure you're back here next Sunday because we want to hear the word of God, that would, that would maybe go to my head. But I don't think it went to Paul and Barnabas' head. But there was such a hunger that had been stirred in these individuals as the word of God had gone forth that they couldn't wait until getting together next Sunday. There was also another group of people, though, who said, I can't even wait for another seven days. It said they followed Paul and Barnabas out. And as they were going out, they kept asking them questions. They said, help us understand this passage. You talked about Isaiah 53. Tell us about that. You talked to us about Psalms. Tell us about that. You took us into Deuteronomy. Tell us about how Jesus is revealed in Deuteronomy. You went back to Genesis 3.16. I didn't quite get what you said. And they were just hungry to learn about the Messiah and about Jesus Christ and about forgiveness of sins. And as they went out, Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to continue in the grace of God. They encouraged them to keep seeking, to keep looking, to keep asking. Because if we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be open to us. And so they understood that in the process of seeking, they would find. And so they had this response. It was an immediate one of we need more now. But then there was a, a third response that takes place in this passage, and it was a rather staggering one. In verse 44, it says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered together. That is an, a rather amazing statement. Now, I would say off the top, clearly that is a little bit of hyperbole, but I don't think it's meant to be an exaggeration or a lie. It's simply a way of saying that something had happened in that town, in that city that week, that the word of God had so gripped the people 
that as they had gone out and talked at dinner and talked in their workplaces, that God had stirred their hearts and the whole city had said, we need to know more about this. Now, you might think that's a little bit strange. Um, it's not strange. If you've ever read anything of revivals, where God, in, a, in just a miraculous way through the Spirit of God, gets a hold of people's hearts so that they can only but come and listen to the preaching of the Word, it is amazing. And we see that dotted throughout the history of the church that these kinds of things have happened. I was rereading uh, uh, the biography of John Edwards, not the whole book, but just a section that I remember um, reading a number of years ago. And uh, in this section, uh, Jonathan Edwards, if some of you know uh, biblical history and American history, Jonathan Edwards is, is probably said by some to be some, the greatest philosopher that has ever lived in America. He also was one of the greatest preachers that ever lived in America. And through him, God brought about two great awakenings in that country back in the 1700s where, where thousands upon thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ in a living way. One of the tools in which God used was a man named George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was converted back in England. And George Whitfield was uh, uniquely gifted by God with, with an ability to communicate truth. And he spoke regularly to crowds of 10, 20, 30,000 people without the aid of microphone. And you could hear a pin drop as he articulated the truth of Scripture. And again, thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of George Whitfield. On one particular occasion, George Whitfield had been uh, invited to come over to America and participate in what God was doing there through, uh, through the revivals. And this is what one man wrote as he um, recounts the, the occasion upon hearing that George Whitfield was coming to town to preach the gospel. He says, there came a messenger and said, Mr. Whitfield preached at Hartford and Weatherfordshire yesterday and is to preach now in Middletown this morning at 10 o'clock. I was in my field at work. I dropped my tool that I had in my hand and I ran home and I ran through my house and I bade my wife get ready quick and go and hear Mr. Whitfield preach at Middletown and ran to my pastor for my horse with all of my might, fearing I should be too late to hear him. I brought my horse home and soon mounted and took my wife up and we went as fast as I thought the horse could bear. And when my horse began to be out of breath, I would get down and put my wife in the saddle and bid her to ride as fast as she could and not stop or slap for me, slack for me, except I bade her. And so I would run until I was almost out of breath and then mount my horse again. And so I did several times to favor my horse for we had 12 miles to ride double in little more than an hour. On high ground, I saw before me a cloud or fog rising. I thought first from the great river. But as I came nearer the road, I heard a noise, something like a low rumbling of horses' feet coming down the road as this cloud was a cloud of dust made by the running horses' feet. It arose some rods in the air and over the tops of the hills and the trees. And when I came within about 20 rods of the road, I could see men and horses slipping along in the cloud like shadows. And when I came nearer, it was like a steady stream of horses and their riders, scarcely a horse more than his length behind another, all of a lather and some with sweat. We went down to the stream and I heard no man speak a word all the way. Three miles, but everyone pressing forward in great haste. And when we got down to the old meeting house, there was a great multitude. It was said to be three or four thousand people assembled together. 
We got off from our horses and shook off the dust, and the ministers were then coming to the meeting house. I turned and looked towards the great river and saw ferry boats running swift, forward and backward, bringing over loads of people, and oars rowed nimble and quick. Everything, men, horses, boats, all seemed to be struggling for life. And the land and the banks of the river looked black with people and horses. All along the twelve miles, I saw no man at work in his field, but all seemed to be gone. They had been gripped by the Spirit of God to know that the Word of God was being proclaimed at 10 o'clock. And they dropped everything. And with all their energy and with all their power, ran and made their way to that city. Beloved, I think that is what was taking place here in Antioch. The Spirit of God was stirring men and women, boys and girls, and such that the whole city gathered to hear the next version or the next edition of preaching. That is the power of the word of God, loved ones. That is what happens when the Holy Spirit grips an individual and grips a town. They can not do anything but find themselves sitting under the word of God. You find in this passage too, and I, and I know it may be sounding a little bit repetitive, but I, I don't care because this is what the scripture is, says is important. You'll notice in this particular passage again, the emphasis on the word of God. Beloved, why did they come to the synagogue that, that next Saturday? It wasn't because there was going to be a great puppet show. It wasn't because they, they, they had seen posters declaring this new gimmick or this new philosophy. It wasn't that there was any natural attraction or charismatic attraction about Paul or Barnabas. But the draw was entirely and solely the word of God. They had been provoked by the word of God. They were being drawn by the word of God. Four times in this passage we see the centrality of the word of God. And that's a reminder to you and I as both as a church as we gather and the ministries that we're involved in. The word of God should always be front and center. As we're witnessing and sharing with our family or sharing with our kids or sharing with our neighbors or sharing with our workmates. We always have to make sure the work of God has a or the word of God has a prominent place in our conversation. Because, loved ones, it is through the word of God that men and women see Christ and come into a relationship with him. In verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear what? The word of God. In verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. The necessity of speaking the word of God in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. It wasn't a man. It wasn't a woman. It wasn't this or it wasn't that. It was the word of God because the word of God is life. And the word of God reveals Christ. And so they were rejoicing and glorifying that they had found life and that they had seen Christ. And then you come to verse 49. And the word of God was spreading throughout the whole region. It just resounded from their lives. It resounded from their lips. It just, it spread out like wildfire across the country. I think God is making a point here. I think God is reminding us that what we're about is to be proclaimers of the word of God. Not proclaimers of philosophy, not proclaimers of new ideas, not proclaimers of idea or of opinions, but proclaimers of the word of God. 
And the truth of the matter is, loved ones, that as you talk about the Word of God and as you proclaim the Word of God, you will experience a number of different reactions. Don't be shocked by some people who just embrace it. But neither be shocked by some people who push back and give you a real hard time. We find that written throughout the Scripture and illustrated again and again and again that there are a variety of reactions to the Word of God. That wherever the truth is preached, wherever the Word of God is proclaimed, there will be a variety of responses from those who immediately accept it to those who reject it with great force and great violence. And we find here, for instance, that the the, the leaders of the synagogue were filled with great jealousy. And they pushed back against Paul and Barnabas. And then a little bit later in verse 50, we find that they, they, they forced them out with, with great force in verse 50 and pushed them out and persecuted and got them out of the city because they were ticked that they were talking about the word of God. I don't know why the Jews were upset. We've got maybe a few ideas from the text. But maybe they were upset because Paul had clearly said, that the word of God reveals Jesus and you rejected him. Beloved, sometimes the word of God brings great conviction in our lives. Because as it is spoken, it goes contrary to what we want to believe. And Paul had been very clear to these people that God had sent Jesus, but they had rejected him even to the point of killing him. Of course they would be mad at hearing that, first of all. I think also sometimes people are mad at the Word of God because the Word of God claims supremacy over any theology and any way of living. And they had embraced a way of living in which the law ruled their life. The law was everything. The law was what what provided them structure. The law was what provided them, most importantly, a way of righteousness. The law was what provided them a way to God. And so they taught and they lived and they they expected other people to believe that as long as you did what God asked you to do, as long as you obeyed the Ten Commandments, you would be accepted by God and you would have everlasting life. You know that that is not true, do you not? You know that you will never get into heaven and be accepted by God by your obedience. None of us is able to obey God fully. The only way we get into heaven and the only way we enter into a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, who in our place has fulfilled the law, who in our place has lived the life of righteousness that we couldn't live. And so our entrance into heaven and eternal life is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, not in our own strength and in our own abilities. And so Paul and Barnabas had come along and undercut and said, no, you will never find forgiveness through keeping the law. You will never find freedom in keeping the law. You will only find forgiveness and freedom in Jesus Christ. And that goes for us here today. Sometimes we become Christians and we fall back into this notion of, well, I will do what it takes now to please God. You'll never do that. And you will exhaust yourself trying. Loved ones, you need to rest in the finished work of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. There is nothing left for you to contribute to your salvation or to acceptance with God. It is received by faith and by grace that God gives. And so they were ticked off. 
because their whole world was being shattered by the truth of the word of God. I think they were ticked as well because there was this great gathering of people. They had been teaching in the synagogues for years and they might have had a dribble and a drabble here and a, you know, a few staunch Jews and a, and a, and a couple God-fearing um, Gentiles, but never before had they ever seen the whole, the whole city gather pressing in to hear the word of God. And they were ticked. So we have a variety of responses to the word of God. It's interesting what Paul says to them. And this is important for us to hear, and it's important for you to hear, because it's the response that we have to the word of God. Paul says to them, you thrust it aside because you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Every time the word of God is proclaimed and every time the gospel is spoken, you have to respond. And some people respond with rejection. There might be some even here this morning who are saying, you know, I've heard this a hundred times and I don't want to hear it again. There are some who said, you know what, I, I don't really care about Jesus Christ. I've got my own life figured out. Some people reject the gospel or thrust it aside because of their love of sin. And they know that it, to follow Christ means that they have to give up this sin or this way of life that gives them great pleasure. And so when the gospel is presented to them, they reject it because they don't want to leave off the life that they are living. And they don't want to recognize that sin has control over them, not they who have control over it. There are some people who, when the gospel is presented, they say, no, no, I don't want none of that. Because I've got a lot of money and I enjoy the life that my money gives and the pleasures and the freedoms that it, that it provides for me. And I've got this idea that if I, if I accept Christ, then my money is his and not mine. And so they say, no, I don't want anything to do with that Christ. Some people reject Christ out of pride. And they simply say, you know what? I'm, I'm in control of my life. I don't need his help. I don't need the crutch that you Christians have. I'm quite in control of my life. Thank you very much. So they thrust aside the gospel. Other people just thrust aside the gospel because they don't want God to rule over their life. Some people have this notion that God is this heavy-handed man who sits up in heaven and just makes our lives miserable. If that's what you think, you have got a terrible misconception of God. God is gracious. gracious. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's gentle. He's kind. He's pure. He's holy. He has a wonderful plan for my life. And every day I live in a wonder of a God who loves me more than I can ever imagine. He is not a bully. He is not a meanie. But some people thrust aside the gospel. And when they do that, and when you do that, you're saying, you know what? My life is really better now than anything God could give me. We have to realize, beloved, that sometimes our temporal decisions have eternal consequences. And in thrusting aside Christ now, you are making a decision about your eternity. Because what Paul says here is not only do you thrust Christ aside, but he says you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. To reject Christ now is to reject him in eternity. To reject the life that Christ offers you now is to choose a life of eternal separation from God forever. There's great consequence on how you deal with Jesus Christ. 
So some reject the gospel outright, thrust it aside. I don't need Christ. I don't want Christ. And in making that decision, pronounce a judgment on themselves. But then there's other, there's another swing of that response and we find that, that, uh, Paul talks about those who, who, rather than rejecting Christ, their hearts were just opened up and, and it was like God burst forth into their hearts and in their lives. And it says that with great joy and, and rejoicing and glorifying, they glorified the word of God in verse 49. And as many as were appointed unto eternal life, they believed. This is a great sort of illustration to us of the fact that the same word of God can be presented. And some people choose to say, no, I want nothing to do with that God and that Christ. And others open their hearts with this amazing response that says, I want Christ. And what's at work here is also the sovereign work of God that before the foundation of the world was already working out circumstances such that that person would respond in a saving way to the gospel. So remarkable was their response and their conversion that it says then that the word of God spread through the whole region. And then we find dotted, as I've already referred to in there, that in verse 50 there was this incredible persecution that was stirred up against God's people. That Paul and Barnabas were driven out of the city. That they were driven out forcibly from the city. Some people just reject it and walk away. Other people accept it and and, and grow, and other people reject it with force and with violence and with persecution. There will be times, I'm not going to kid you, where you will suffer because you believe in the Word of God. There are times when you will be rejected because you proclaim the Word of God. There are times when you will physically suffer because you have the boldness to declare the Word of God. Beloved, that does not mean that you've got it wrong. That means that you have it right. Because the Bible tells us that we will sometimes suffer for our testimony for Jesus Christ. The amazing thing is that God doesn't leave us alone, though, in that state. And just as we wrap this up, and I'll just draw your attention to it in verse 52. What is the response of of those who, who have proclaimed the word of God and experienced this range of reaction to it? God is gracious. It says, and they were filled with joy. There is something, beloved, about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. There is something about sharing in the expansion of the kingdom of God. There is something about participating in what God is doing in your family, in this community, in this island, in this world, that no matter what happens to us, brings this inner joy. That we say, wow, I get to participate in what God is doing here. And not only that, Not only they're filled with joy, but they're filled afresh with the Spirit. I love that. Because it again is a reminder that we don't do it on our own. That we don't set our own path. That we don't set our own direction. That we don't do it our own strength. But all that we do, we do in the strength of the Holy Spirit who God fills us with again and again and again. So that we might have boldness to do what God wants us to do. Loved ones, the Word of God is what we proclaim. The Word of God is the power of all men unto salvation. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God may cause acceptance or it may cause rejection or it may cause hostility. But may the living Word of God be our confidence regardless of the response because it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first 
and then to the Gentiles.